From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. And a very warm welcome aboard the pirate ship at the Reeve Gauche and to the Captain's Table podcast, brought to you by Are You Not Entertained and our great friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies. I'm Giles Morgan. I'm not actually a captain, or indeed a pirate, but a vague ancestor of my family, Captain Henry Morgan, actually was one, and his family all came from Wales as well. For 30 years, I have been lucky enough to travel all over the world as a boring old marketing suit in the sports industry, which included having arguably the best job in the world as head of sponsorship at HSBC. Along that journey, I got to rub shoulders with the good, the bad, and the ugly from the world of sport. And having ditched the pinstripe suit for breeches and the red waistcoat and cutlass that befits a pirate captain, I set out to create this podcast where every fortnight I simply ask my special guests from the world of sport to share their own personal memories of being a sports fan and how that passion has affected and shaped their lives. And ahoy there, my hearties, and welcome back for another show which this week sees us branch further afield to the land of the long white cloud and to hook up with one of the greatest ever All Blacks, Sean Fitzpatrick. His rugby CV, well, it's mind-blowing. He was first capped back in 1986 and he went on to win the first ever Rugby World Cup in 1987. He won 92 caps for his country and was captain from 1992 to 1997, and was the guy who kept Warren Gatland firmly on the bench throughout his career. He won nine Bledisloe Cups, 63 consecutive caps for his country, which I think is still a record, eight national provincial championships, two Ranfurly Shields. I mean, the <laughs> and is now chairman of Laureus and, and doing huge, huge good work um, for raising money uh, for that wonderful charity. So, um, without further ado, let's bring him on, Sean Fitzpatrick. Sean Fitzpatrick, welcome on board and welcome to the Captain's Table podcast. Pull up a chair and make yourself at home. Thank you, I'll do that. Well, be careful. There are lots of pets all over the ship. There are pets. You've got dogs, cats, parrots everywhere. They might give you a nip, but just, just be watch yourself. And first things first, you're on board. You're my guest. I need to get you a drink. Now, usually pirates like me, they we drink rum together. But um, regular listeners of this show will know this is a, a slightly classier ship. And so the usual tipple of choice is therefore a Loch Lomond Scotch single malt. Would you like one? Oh, I'm, actually, I'm a keeper of the quake, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually in there, but yes, I, I spoke up at the Groundlock moment, actually, so it must have been their whiskey we were drinking. Oh, that's um, fantastic. So how do you like yes. the whiskey, sir? How do you, like, ice water, you, uh, an old-fashioned, what, what, what do you want? You can do anything. Just poured over a bit of ice, actually. 
Very good. Well, we'll get Paul the um, the steward. He's watch out. He's gammy leg. He may spill a bit, but otherwise he'll get you a drink and we can get <laughs> we can get started. So Sean Fitzpatrick, everybody knows you not only in your previous iteration as um, a rather a rather tough New Zealand uh, rugby captain that seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. We wish you'd retired a long time before, particularly your mate Gav Hastings told me to tell you that. But um, you then kind of reinvented yourself. You've done a lot of media work and you're also chairman of the fabulous um, Laureus uh, Sport Foundation. So you've been with us around in in, in the sports world for a long time. I'm not interested in any of that, really. Um, Other people have spoken to you long and hard about that. I am fascinated, though, about you as a, as a sports fan, which I know you are, and what 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 it is about sport that is of interest to you. And what was your earliest sporting memory watching sport as a kid? Oh, golly gosh, that's a, that's a while ago. Um, <laughs> I suppose the early hours of the, you know, the late 60s, black and white TV, uh, waking up at sort of being sort of, shaken in bed by my father to get up to watch the All Blacks play South Africa or the All Blacks to play in Wales. Um, that was probably my earliest sort of memory. And, um, and your, of, dad, of, your, your dad was a, was a great rugby player, I know that. So was he very formative in that? I mean, obviously you're a Kiwi, so therefore rugby was, was going to be very high up the list. But was it always going to be rugby? Were there other sports like footy and cr- football and cricket and stuff? It's quite interesting looking back, uh, Joe. I know that you know we had we had rugby in the winter and cricket or sailing in the summer, basically, and that and that was it. So um, we weren't pushed down that road. It was a community-based game. Uh, so that was just where families spent their Saturdays. Was down at College Rifles Rugby Club, mum, dad, and the kids, and we'd be there at eight o'clock in the morning to watch my brother play. Then we'd stay in the afternoon to watch the senior team. Mum and Dad would then have a few drinks. We'd all reenact being Gareth Edwards or Brian Williams or on the on the main field. And then we'd pile into the car at eight o'clock and head home. That was the that was our Saturdays, really. So that, that that's interesting to me. So the hot, it was a very much the family, the community that sport was not just the watching of sport and the emulation of sport, but it was actually keeping you busy over the weekends. And, and it was and, it was hugely important. Was this, and that's the big thing about sport is the community based game. You think about all those villages in Wales and Ireland, whether it's hurling, rugby, football, Gaelic, whatever it is. It's the club that's the nucleus of that community and it's so important going forward that our generation makes sure that that continues because the community is relies so much on sport. So do you think, I mean, I know that you're very involved with Clinetley or the Scarlet, so that's something that, and that's one of the great clubs of Wales, obviously. But when you think about the dominance of New Zealand rugby over the many, many years, um, do you think it is that community club strength that has been the beating heart that has made um, New Zealand cultural in terms of rugby so very strong? Yeah, I, well, I think all sports actually, Giles. I, I, you know, we go back to New Zealand and we've got a house near the beach and kids like my generation, they are playing every sport. They're learning how to sail, they'll play cricket, they'll throw frisbees, they'll play football. They're talented at all these things, and it's just and once again, it's the the barbecue on the beach, 
you know, after after the barbecue, then all the kids start playing sport, whatever sport. Just everyone thinks rugby is the number one sport. It's not. You know, I think rugby now in New Zealand, when children leave school, is choice number eleven. Wow. Uh, so, you know, and that's what I love about about sport is that it brings people together, brings communities together, have a laugh, have a bit of fun. And that's that's how I was brought up, just to just have a bit of fun. Really, it was never going to be an All Black, so just enjoy it and you talked about watching black and white television which means we're old enough to remember that and i've also as you know spent some time in new zealand in a former life of mine so i think i'm pretty certain the television's still in black and white but i may be wrong but i'm I'm wondering other than obviously the the great heroes of, of new zealand rugby who were your other major sporting heroes that you kind of picked up on either from rugby from from other countries but maybe even broader than that in terms of other sports that you just as a kid yeah. thought, I want to be that person? Yeah, I think uh, I think growing up I didn't realise, but but now that I'm a, an old man and I had two daughters, or have two daughters, um, we followed other sports. And what I didn't realise, I am a sports nut. I will literally watch anything. And I think growing up in New Zealand, you know, down the road from us lives Sir Edmund Hillary. Uh, the great mountaineer, the man who climbed Everest, you know, the first time ever and, you know, with no oxygen most of the time. Um, so, so people like that, then I think of Bob Charles, who won, won the British Open, you know, these great, great players. And, you know, then you'd probably put Michael Campbell, the US Open, in with that, uh, you know, cricketers and, you know, people might like this, but we weren't, we weren't hugely good at cricket. But when we had a hero... Everyone followed him. So everyone my generation was Lance Kens or Richard Hadley, Jeff Howe, and we were all trying to be like them, bold like Dennis Louie. No, bold like Richard Hadley, you know, that little step at the beginning. And, and obviously there was there was All Blacks, but, but I think for us it was a, a case of multi-sports trying to emulate people. And then, you know, the, the British Irish Lions came to New Zealand in 1970. You know, my generation was influenced by the Gareth Edwards of the world. Grant Fox started kicking around the corner because Barry John kicked around the corner. You know, all, all those sort of things which which I hope, you know, today's children experience, you know, all those different sports. So that must be fascinating that you, you, you talk about these multi-sports and those influences that... Presumably, I would imagine being uh, very involved as chairman of Laureus, where you get to work with the, almost by definition the greatest sportsmen and women of their generation, must give you, I mean, yes, on a prof- on a fundraising professional level, fantastic to have them involved. But on a personal level, it must just be the greatest gig in the world, isn't it? I, I love it when I say when I say to mates of mine that are football nuts. I go, oh, yes, I was just, uh, I was talking to Lewis uh, Figo the other day. And I go, don't be a dickhead. How are you, t- <laughs> How are you talking to him? You know, uh, but I, I'm, do I like, I'm like, a, I'm still like a kid in a candy shop. You know, you know, when I, when I speak to Ed Moses, you know, the greatest 400 metre runner ever. Um, I still remember when I was a child, you know, he's not a lot older than me, but he was my childhood hero, you know, you know, 10 Amazing. years undefeated. You know, he wasn't the quickest man in the world, but he changed the step, there's innovation, all those sort of things. Um, so, yeah, so we're, we're pretty lucky. And, and ironically, we're all like that. 
you know, I love, I love, you know, being with Steve Waugh, Beefy Botham, uh, you know, Robbie Nash, you know, all these Tony Hawk, you know, all these, all these greats of their own sporting worlds. Um, we're very similar. I'm not Martina Navratilova when I first met her. I said, um, I wouldn't go and have your autograph, would I? I said, <laughs> you can, but I want yours. And I'm like, really? <laughs> what, why do you want my autograph, you know? Um, but I love so, that. I love. I love. I love that that still happens. And I. I, I know the guys on in in the UK. The question of sports. I remember yeah. um, Beefy actually talking about you know different heroes meeting each other often for the first time and this sort of sharing that it's okay to have said you were my hero and oh you were my yeah. hero and that kind of it breaks down the barriers. But I think. You've got it on absolute on max. I mean, I, I've I've been once to one of the Laureus dinners many years ago, and it was literally a, a who's who of of the greatest. So, um, when that, know, when Joe, that, when... Joe, what I what I really love about it is that when you when you see somebody from a distance and you see them in the press, you don't you don't really appreciate who they are, what they are. And if I just make one example, is, is Lewis Hamilton. Like what you see. It's not necessarily what you get when you meet him in person. When he's in his own, when he's in his own backyard, you know, when he's at Brackley in the factory trying to make the car go faster, that's that's his home, and he's and he's more relaxed. He's a different person, um, which which I really really like when I meet people. And I, people say it to me when they actually meet somebody, one of their childhood heroes, and they're actually a nice person. It makes it that much better. Um, but, but if you as well, I and mean, you mentioned Gareth Edwards a couple of times, who for anyone who's Welsh, he's going to be, he's going to, well, of a certain age anyway, they're going to be. You don't even need to say Edwards, do you? You just say Gareth. You, you just say Gareth. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I always felt about him when I first started working with him years ago, 25 years ago, not only did I get to meet my hero, but I couldn't believe how how humble he was as a, yeah. as a human being. And I, I would imagine that's the same within the kind of, the, the, the sort of, safe orbit of of loris is when you all come together there's probably massive humiliate you know the the humbleness all comes together yeah. that's part of my job as as chairman is to make sure that we get the right people you know sometimes the biggest stars aren't the right people or the most successful people aren't the right people so it's a it's a real process of making sure that when when the, they get invited to be an academy member um that they are the right person well, it's fascinating. And and going back to a bit about the little Sean Edwards probably wearing um, uh, Fitzpatrick, rather sorry, nothing like Gareth. Uh, I've got, was, I've got was, cra- was one of my heroes too. Sean Edwards, yeah. 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 Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bloody hell. I must be getting old. What, what was your favourite, as a fan, going back to you as a little boy, Sean, what's your what was your favourite stadium to go to? Now, maybe in New Zealand until you travelled elsewhere, maybe it was Eden Park because it had to be. But are there other places that you've gone, I just love being a fan here and watching the, the sport, whatever it may be? Yeah, I, yeah, I think we had Eden Park and you know, we didn't, I didn't go to my first, first test match until I think it was 1976 at Eden Park and against Scotland, funnily enough. So, yeah, I suppose Eden Park... You know, I go back to watching in black and white and dreaming of going to Cardiff Farms. That was, really? you know, dreaming of going to dreaming of going to South Africa. I always remember Joe, uh, Joe Morgan, the late Joe Morgan, scored a try in Bloemfontein in 1976, 
and the the grounds were just brown, and they all had bandages on their knees, and and I just I just thought, God, I'd love to go there. Um, so it was probably more a case of, of, of dreaming to go, you know, when, and then in 1989 when I did go to Cardiff and, and played there, um, it was like a dream come true. You know, dreams do come true. Well, not for me. I went to that. I went to watch that game and you, you shattered it. It became a nightmare. <laughs> and all I, want, all I wanted to hear was the singing. And was, they were singing for about 20 minutes and then the score line got pushed out a bit. You, you drew, yeah, yeah. The singing was ex- extinguished. And tell me, if we were going to Eden Park or, or indeed to the Principality Stadium as it is now and we get to half time, and I say to you, look, Fitzy, I'm going to get you a, a pint and you're going to go and get some uh, food from the halftime vans. I'll get you a pint of lager. What is What, what would your sort of halftime... Uh, snack of choice. <laughs> yeah, it was quite. It was quite funny because uh, growing up in New Zealand, it was always a joke at Eden Park. You would have a, a a warm pint of beer and a cold pie, <laughs> 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 which uh, which is obviously not what you really want. Uh, I don't know. Probably uh, I don't know some some fries, a hot pie would be nice, and a and a cold lager. I love my lager. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I'm sure we could, even in Wales, they can probably sort that out. And you mentioned Cardiff. I mean, the, the singing is, well, the, the Kiwis aren't great singers, to be fair, as, as supporters. Maybe they don't need to be. Um, but do you have a favourite anthem or song or something that reminds you of, of either your playing days or being a fan? Of, do, do you like so, singing? I suppose I was, I was down in Wales a couple of weeks ago and I, this was, I turned up at a rugby club and they, the choir was... Um, rehearsing on a Monday night and I happened to be there was doing, doing something and they said come in and they said what song would you like to hear and I said once again I go back to my childhood memories of the Barbarians playing the last game of the tour and they'd always sing now as the hour as, as, they, as they walked on the field so I suppose that one uh, sticks in my mind you know Kerry DeCarnava she, she's a great rugby lover um, and she'd always come into our changing rooms whether it would be in South Africa England and, and she would sing more often than not Pokeri Kariana, um, which which is good. Um, 93, we lost at Twickenham. And I managed to get Neil Finn into into our changing room, who, who lightened the, the atmosphere by singing a few crowded house songs and a few split end songs. He wow. even came to the even came to the aftermatch to the Guild Hall. Wow. Uh, a, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think music's such a big part of especially touring life. You know, the the All Blacks, you know, always have a guitar. Uh, the Maori boys generally have the guitar, they have the voice. Uh, and we sort of hum along, but you have song sheets and, and it's who who is the best singer in the of, of the of the many test ninety two test matches you played? Who, thinking, who is the best who singer? Would do, who would do a solo? Uh, Michael Jones probably. Which probably yeah. wouldn't surprise you. A beautiful guitar yeah. player, and he can sing, yeah. you know, just just beautifully. I'm I'm tone deaf, so I, I'm not one of the greats, but I enjoy it. And Fitzy, you, uh, I mean, I think this is. I hope this isn't uncharitable, but some of your good mates from rugby, I, I, I asked them what they, they they thought about you as a player. And a, a large Scotsman from Edinburgh said you were a hard bastard, and that was all he had to say about you. And you'd probably know who I'm talking about. But yes, I'm, I'm, inter- 
I'm interested to know, um, are you emotional about um, watching sport? I don't mean playing, but have you cried watching sport? Have you had moments where the waterworks happen, where it, the, 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 the whatever's happened has overtaken you? Um, I, I probably cried at 95 after we lost. But <laughs> ironically, Gilo, as you get older, I think you appreciate more the occasion. And when people say to me, what was the greatest World Cup you'd ever went to or played in, uh, I would say South Africa in 95, just for what it meant to sport, the, the way it was played, uh, the quality of the rugby. Um, I'm now I'm pretty chilled in terms of we play well and lose. I'm like, okay. Yeah, no biggie. Uh, definitely in golf. Definitely in golf. If I have five good shots around, I'm like, yes, on the back. Uh, so I'm definitely taking it easy. Well, going back to golf, Loch Lomond Whiskey's uh, sponsoring the show, as you know, and they, they sponsor the Open Championship, which um, you and I, even though it is an Open Championship, have absolutely bugger all chance of ever, ever playing in. But yes. I know you do play golf, and I know that, well... If you hit five good rounds, shots around, I'm lucky if I get one. But have you, I'm, I'm pretty certain, I'm interested to know this. Have you ever played golf with, with a, a sporting hero that you were kind of slightly in awe of, whether it be a golfer or someone else? Because golf kind of reveals one. And if you're nervous, it doesn't help. Have you, have you played golf with anyone you've gone, God, I don't want to muck this um, one? I played with Justin Rose. That was, he, was, he was very cool. I've played in the Dunhill a few times, so I've played with a lot of professionals. Um, but he's probably um, probably the highest profile guy that I've played with. That, and that wasn't at the Dunhill, it was in a, a golf day. I don't know, they make you feel so relaxed also. Um, so, you know, I'm playing with Beefy and I've played with all those guys, which is, you know, good fun. Daly Thompson, he's taken up golf. Um, I play a lot in New Zealand with, uh, with a lot of mates, uh, ex All Blacks, which is which is hugely competitive, probably more competitive than, <laughs> than in the golf days. But uh, no, I don't. I don't tend to get overawed. I'm just I'm very comfortable who I am. So if I'm if I'm crap at golf, that's if I knob it off the first tee, I get annoyed. But you know, that's life. It's not it's not my profession. I don't need to make money playing golf. <laughs> No, that is true. No pressure, because you're not going to make any. Tell me, what would your dream... What would your um, dream... It doesn't have to even have to be a pro-am team. It could be an am-am team. If I could say that you're going around a golf, you pick three golfing partners, that anyone in the world, who would you, who would you want to play golf with? God, that's a, that's a good question. Um, of course, I want to play with my wife, Charlo. Good lad. Correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> um... I must say, watching, watching the, the Ryder Cup, I, I tell you what I really enjoyed was the Shambo. Just to, even, even not to play with him, just to, to be inside the ropes with him. And, you know, he's just so entertaining and, and he's got a, an all-round game. He's not just a big hitter. So, I mean, currently I'd like to play with him. Um, I'll give you a nice, what's your thinking? I'll, I'll tell you a nice story about, about him. In my former life, as you know, I was at HSBC and we sponsored the old, old golf tournament and um, yeah. HSBC gave Bryson DeChambeau his first professional start in Abu Dhabi uh, probably five years ago. And I still have the thank you letter 
from him as getting a sponsor's pick to say thank you for letting me in and you know he you talk about people and not getting the fair press or whatever he is one of the most mild-mannered very well um, brought up fellas his dad is absolutely charming but i don't have a lot of thank you letters from golfers but i do from him and it says a lot so yeah it does sound like it um it's such an easy thing to do but not many people do it these days do they no that's so true and you've got one more player to be in this in this in this uh in this round Uh, i'll tell you who i loved playing golf with who was a was a rugby player uh, was a guy called Brian Lahore, Sir Brian okay. Lahore, who's sadly no longer with us. I'd like to play with him. Okay, well, that is so. Uh, we've got Bronwyn, we've got uh, Sir Brian Lahore, and we've got Bryson DeChambeau. That's um, that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna test everybody. Uh, quickly on rugby, I don't want to do too much on rugby. You were a hard bastard, but who was the hardest player you ever played against? I don't know. We sort of people saw them. In my day, it was more a team. It wasn't. You know, like the French in the late 80s were, were hugely physical, not always uh, honest in terms of the way they played the game. Uh, but when they did play rugby, they, they were very hard to beat. Um, and South Africa in later years, they, they are very similar to us. Uh, they just don't go away. They keep knocking on the door. Um, individual players, I, I wouldn't. There's a guy called Tommy Lawton from Australia. Hooker from Australia who was who sort of taught me a few tricks, um, <laughs> but that was more so- psychologically than anything. Uh, but you know, I the way the game is played in our day was very physical. Uh, sometimes you know, just outright buggery, uh, which I'm so pleased rugby now is is is, is got rid of all that. Although it's still as hard as ever, but it's it's a, it's a cleaner game. And I imagine, Sean, that you've been to quite a lot of sporting events around the world through your various um, you know, various roles that you've had. But have you? Is there an event that is on your bucket list that you haven't been to that you'd love to? Okay, so I just if I can just name the two events and since I retired that I've been to uh, with the girls, uh, the one day final at Lords, mm-hmm. uh, without question was the most amazing event I'd ever been. The roller coaster, sitting with all the New Zealand families, up and down, up and yeah. down, and then we had the super over and we ended up losing. But still, yeah. just the, as a theatre, just bonkers. And then last year, I went to the America, while in New Zealand, I went to the America's Cup. And oh. I'd have to say, from a New Zealand point of view, being on the water um, was just mind-blowing. Just watching these machines... Uh, you know, doing 40, 50 knots and, and, and the atmosphere around the water. Uh, just really special. So those, those are the two events. And what event, well, sorry, what was the question? Is there, one that you haven't, <laughs> is there one that you haven't been to? So those are good. Uh, is there, is there one to, more? Uh, one of my heroes growing up, or I didn't mention, was Mark Todd. Uh, so I was at New Zealand House the other night with Bronnie and we met a equestrian girl who, who rode for New Zealand and she is going to take us to badminton next year, uh, which I absolutely love. Uh, you'll you'll love that. And it's um, it's something I was very involved in as a sponsor years ago. Oh, and, okay. um, you can spend the day there. It's a, basically a picnic, a dog walk, and watching the the bravest, I think, the bravest athletes in the world, genuinely, without a question. Oh, is it? 
is it a, is it actually an English sport that you go to when you watch sport? Yes, you actually are even allowed to watch it. <laughs> I, went to Henley, I went to Henley, didn't watch a bike race. <laughs> it's so true. That is, that, that is so true. I, I went to, in my student years, I was up north in the north of England and I went three times to the Grand National and never saw a horse. <laughs> I went to the Goodwood Revival last week, which was... Just the whole setting was so special, but I didn't see a race. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Lord March would be very and disappointed. Had a brilliant time. The Duke of Richmond. The Duke of Richmond now he is. Oh my God, he's got his course up, up the peerage. He'll be yeah. king next if the if the royal family carry on like this. Sean, we come to the uh, part of the show which I call the um, the captain's broadside. Where I just ask you a bunch just of fairly random, silly questions. So just do your best. Um, so you've come on board my boat, the Reeve Gauche, and uh, we first of all we can sail anywhere in the world. This is your, you're my guest. I'm going to get the get the the masts all ready. Where can we drop you off? Where, where's your destination? I sort of wish to. Well, I love obviously the Bay of Islands in New Zealand. We'd have to we'd have to go through the Bay of Islands, yeah. Um, pop into Russell and do all that. And then we'd head off across the Pacific up to the beautiful Fijian Islands. And you could, wow, we're going, be, we're going to be on board a long time. This is good. Well, it's going to take about 15 days at a, you know, eight, 10 knots and out a mile. Very nice. That's going to do us all get there easily in this beautiful boat of yours. Beautiful. Well, you can see at this beautiful table, oak table, English oak table that you're sitting at, that we're going to feed you for this marathon journey around the Pacific. Um, but first night... Um, you get to choose the menu. So what is the... And by the way, cheese, the cheese course, I look after. So don't worry about cheese. There's always cheese. I love cheese. Okay, um, but what is the three-course meal that Sean Fitzpatrick um, would have on this boat? I think since we're, we're leaving and, you know, it's a bit of a, a long trip, I think fresh, um, I'd like some some oysters. So, um, mm-hmm. so preferably bluff oysters, if you can organise those. I'm, yeah, I'm happy definitely. with those. Um, and then, and then, so that'd be the entree. And and I, I'm, I'm no disrespect to the whiskey. I'd actually like champagne with those if I could. That's fine. Louis Rider, or, or? specifically. Specifically, Louis Rider. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, and, and traditionally, I'd like a, a dozen, a dozen, a dozen bluff oysters would be nice. Okay. And then I'm going to go on to some green lip mussels. Very good. Uh, done in a little little Chardonnay white wine sauce. Okay. Okay. And then that, that's me. And then I'd go on to the cheese that you're providing. And, and, and a nice little... Do you want pudding? Uh, no, don't really. Well, uh, no. Sure. Okay. no we're, not, we're not doing anything for 12 days, so we're going to be a bit careful. Yeah. <laughs> well, if the oysters are off, we're in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> now, also, Sean, you're my guest of honour on this incredible voyage we're going to go on. We give you a beautiful ensuite cabin, which, given this is a 17th century pirate ship, is something of a historical miracle. Um, and we're going to change for dinner, I hope. You're not going to... We'll be in black tie. Um, so you have a shower before. What song would Sean Fitzpatrick sing in the shower and keep the crew guessing as to what it is you were trying to sing? Um, I've, always, I've always liked uh, Sweet Caroline, obviously, but I'm getting a bit annoyed because they're, they're playing that everywhere at the moment. Every sporting event you go into, they're playing Sweet Caroline. Yeah. Um, so I'm a U2 fan, so a bit of U2 would be good. 
Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we can get with all that. And Fleetwood Mac. I, I'm, a, I'm nuts on Fleetwood Mac. Strong. We have same musical influences, but you probably knew that. Tell me, what was your first ever album that you bought? Well, probably it being Kiwi, probably a gramophone record. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably Yellow Brick Road, probably. Okay, very good. Yeah. And uh, I remember you right, my brothers and so I was the younger, so by the time I got to the vinyls, I never actually had to buy them because they were all just piled up in the, in the living room. And they're all scratched, and it was just, you know, they're forever lifting up the needle, moving on to the next track. Very good. And do you remember your first ever live gig that you went to? Um, town Hall, Open Town Hall, to watch Neil Finn, um, Mike wow. Chun, and I think they were called, no, maybe Neil wasn't, um, they were called the Citizen Band, I think it was in those days. And the reason we went was because I went to Sacred Heart College, uh, where Neil and Tim Finn went to, and Mike Chung went to. Dave Dobbin was, I think, in that band also. Peter Ehrlich, all these, all these great New Zealand musicians that all wow. came out of the same school. Amazing. I did that. I did not know. Um, and tell me, what was your first? Car, I imagine it was a hand-me-down as well from the, from the brothers no, as well. No, it was not, Giles. We, <laughs> it was a mini Clubman. Oh, classic. And I had to, it cost $1,200, and I had to take a, a loan out for $1,000 from Broadlands Investments, and my sister had to guarantee it. <laughs> but I bet you love that car more than any car you've ever I, had. I loved it, and just to digress quickly, um, when I went to pick up Bronnie because we were going out at that time and I couldn't drive the car down her driveway because I couldn't get back up the driveway. That's good memories, great memories. And tell me, do you, I mean, you know, you've, you're a talented man, um, even not on the golf course, but do you have any hidden talents that people don't know about? Are there things that you can, you know, can you play the xylophone or something completely random? Is there something you can do that we don't know about? No, I could, the thing I can do better than my girls is I can water ski. I can oh. ski on one ski. Oh, you're a monoboy. Yes, that's my little treat at Christmas. Oh, very keep, nice. To keep ahead of them. Keep ahead, yeah, and that's, that's, that's always pressure. And tell me, um, Sean, we're about to uh, we're cast off and you're about to get ready for dinner. But this is a pirate ship, and obviously pirate ships were, were built to smuggle things and to keep things away from, well, probably from the Crown soldiers, I imagine. But if we could smuggle any possession that you have I picked up along your way in your life or whatever that we would want to keep safe for all times and put in a chest and bury safely. Are you someone who's acquisitive or emotive in that way? Or And is if you are, is there something that we could look after and make sure is safe for all times? Some, uh, really, I'm not, I'm not hugely into sort of that sort of stuff, but I've got some art that I, uh, Ronnie tends to buy me for birthdays, um, some Maori art, Sculptures. I love, love my it. sculptures. Very um, good. So a few of those would be quite nice to take with yeah. you. Some of them might be a bit big for your boat. I might have to, I might have to sort of plant them on your deck. Okay, well, that, that would be good. I mean, the crew are useless, so we might use the sculptures <laughs> instead. 
Look, Fitzy, I've taken up so much of your time. You've been an amazing guest and it's a, a, really a genuine pleasure and honour to have you on board the Reef Ghost and the Captain's Table. Firstly, thank you very much. And, and also, as I mentioned, this is a very classy pirate ship and so we do things a little bit differently. And so we want to leave um, you with our own special treasure, which is a bottle of the 12-year-old single malt whiskey from our friends at, Lo at Loma Whiskies as a way of saying thank you for, for being just the best guest. Wonderful. Thanks, Charlie. Very good of you. All right, buddy. And we'll see you for dinner shortly. Look forward to it. Cheers. Wow. Sean Fitzpatrick, we're going to have a long, long sail together. What a wonderful guest. I'm looking forward to it. For all our listeners, we're so grateful for your support uh, of the show. And we don't want you to uh, leave with your cellars empty either. And so our great friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies are very kindly once again giving away a bottle of 12-year-old single malt whiskey. To be in with a chance of winning this bottle, head over to their Twitter page at Loch Lomond Waltz and follow their instructions to enter. From all my colleagues at Are You Not Entertained and Loch Lomond Whiskies, that's Rog and Grant and James and, and all the crew, thank you for the support of the shows we make. We are genuinely grateful for your time. And if you get a chance, please tell your friends about us and get them to find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pod fakes by searching Are You Not Entertained. If you do want to follow me or get in touch or talk about guests or the show or whatever, you can do so on at GilesMorgan71 or via email at Giles at GilesDMorgan.com. And until we meet again, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. <laughs>